Chapter Two of Dave Dashaway and His Hydroplane by Roy Rockwood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two The Baby Racer. You know all about it, repeated Dave Dashaway, looking up in great surprise. Well, that's what I do, declared Hiram positively. What do you mean? I'll explain. I wish you would. I'm a blockhead. That's just what I am, cried Hiram. I don't know what possessed me that I didn't tell you all about it before. See here, Hiram, broke in Dave. What are you talking about? Why, about Mr. Timmins. You know he was here the night before last and left us then. Yes, Hiram, to go to Kewaukee. Well, he just didn't go to Kewaukee at all. Well, that's no news, for this telegram shows that he couldn't have done so. You see, when Mr. Timmins got telling us about the big sale he was going to make at Kewaukee, continued Hiram, and how the Star Arrow people were bidders for the same contract, you warned him against the Dawsons and the people they were working for. I know I did. That's because the Dawsons are stunting for the Star people. Exactly. Then, when I caught Jerry Dawson and Brooks, that precious chum of his, sneaking around the Aegis hangar, I made up my mind they were up to no good. I know what they were snooping around for now. What was it? To pick up what information they could about Mr. Timmons' plans. So, when Mr. Timmons went away, I was awful glad. I felt pleased, for Mr. King told, as you know, that he was a free and easy fellow friendly to everybody, and sometimes drank more than he ought to. Yes, I know that, Hiram. Well, last night I went to town to get some supplies for Mr. Grimshaw. There's a tavern at the crossroads, and some men were in there. I saw them through an open window. There were six of them. Brooks was there, and Jerry, and his father, and three more of the crowd. They were playing cards and making a great deal of noise. Just as I looked in, someone pulled down the shade. I caught sight of the other man, though. Right off, even at the distance I was, it struck me he looked like Mr. Timmins. Then I remembered that Mr. Timmins had certainly gone to Kewaukee the night before, so I put it off my mind. Now I see the whole trick. What is that? The crowd kept Mr. Timmins here, delaying and entertaining him. Maybe later some of them led him still farther away from Columbus. Their man is probably on the spot at Kewaukee now, ready to get the big contract for show biplanes. Dave had been anxiously walking up and down the floor while Hiram was talking. Now he took his cap off a peg and picked up an umbrella. You wait here till I come back, Hiram, he said. Where are you going, Dave? Down to the Aegis hangar. This telegram disturbs me very much. I have no idea where Mr. Timmins can be, and something must certainly be done about this contract. That's so, Dave, agreed Hiram. It isn't exactly our business, but it would be a big feather in your cap to help out the people who are hiring you. That's what I want to do, if I can, replied Dave as he left the place. The youth went straight to the Aegis hangar, where he found Grimshaw tinkering over a broken airplane wing. 
Mr. King had a desk in one corner of what he called his office room. Dave was free to use this at all times. He opened it now and for ten minutes was busy with some railroad timetables he found there. Then he consulted an arrow guide map. Grimshaw watched him from under his shaggy eyebrows, but said nothing until Dave got up from the desk, buttoned his coat, and prepared to face the storm again. "'What's the trouble, Dashaway?' he asked. "'Why, Mr. Grimshaw,' inquired Dave, wishing to evade direct questioning. "'You seem bothered about something, I see.' "'Well, as a matter of fact, I am,' confessed Dave. "'What is it?' "'I'm trying to find a way to get to Kewaukee,' explained Dave. "'Something has come up that makes me think I ought to be there in the interests of my employers early tomorrow morning. I'm figuring out how I can make it.' "'See here, Dashaway,' spoke the old airman in a grim, impressive way. "'Don't you do anything reckless.' "'I won't,' answered Dave. "'You know you once said I was all business. Well, I will always try to do my duty without any unnecessary risks.' Dave laughed carelessly and got away from the hangar. A daring idea had come into his mind. Perhaps Grimshaw suspected it, and Dave was afraid he might. The lad knew that the eccentric old fellow liked him and would try to dissuade him from any exploit of unusual peril. "'I'll do it. I'll have to do it or let the company lose out,' breathed Dave, as once outside he broke into a run across the aviation field. Dave found Hiram winding the alarm clock as he re-entered the half-shed, half-canvas house where the baby racer was stored. Although they got their meals at Mr. King's headquarters, the boys had two-leg cots and slept near to the machine which Dave had been exhibiting. Dave glanced at the clock, and Hiram, noticing the look, said, "'Eleven-thirty, Dave. I've set the alarm clock for five-thirty. You know that the new hydroplane will probably come in on an early freight. What's the program?' "'Well, Hiram,' responded Dave, throwing off his coat and hat, "'I'm going to dress up for a ride.' "'Eh?' ejaculated Hiram, staring hard at the set, resolute face of his comrade. "'Yes, I've got to get to Kewaukee.' "'Oh, you mean you're going by train?' "'No, last one left an hour ago. Next one nine o'clock tomorrow morning.' "'Automobile, then? On the country mud roads we've been having for the last week?' "'That's so, then. It's the airship route or nothing, Hiram,' said Dave. "'I'm going in the biplane.' The baby racer? Yes. On such a night as this? Why, Dave, began Hiram, almost in alarm. Don't say a word, interrupted Dave, with a peremptory wave of his hand. I've made up my mind, and that ends it. It usually does, said Hiram. If you're bound to do it, though, Dave, I certainly am. Ask Mr. Grimshaw's advice first. Not for worlds. Why not? I think he would try to stop me. See here, Hiram, I've thought it all over. I know it's a hard, rough night, but I also know what the baby racer can do. It's a pretty bad night to do any fooling in the air, remarked Hiram. There won't be much fooling about it, Hiram. I know the chances, and I shan't look for any fun. It is a bad night, I know, but the wind is right, 
and I can head straight into it in reaching Kewaukee. How far away is Kewaukee, Dave? Ninety-five miles. Dave, while he talked, had been putting on his regular aviator suit. As he finished up with a helmet, he noticed Hiram changing his coat for a sweater. "'What are you up to, Hiram?' he inquired quickly. "'Getting ready, of course.' "'Getting ready for what? The trip to Kewaukee.' "'Oh, you think you're going?' "'If you are,' retorted Hiram, "'I know I am. "'Now see here, Dave,' continued Hiram, "'waving a silencing finger as Dave was about to speak. "'I know I'm not an aviator like you, and never may be. "'All the same, I am some good in an airship, "'if it's only to act as ballast.' The other day when I was up with you in the racer, you said I shifted the elevator just in time to save a smash-up. In a storm like this one tonight, you may need me worse than ever. Anyhow, Dave Dashaway, I won't let you go alone. The young airman looked at his loyal, earnest friend with pleasure and pride. Hiram was only a crude country boy. He had, however, shown himself to be a diamond in the rough and dave appreciated the fact hiram had made several ground runs in an aeroplane he had gone up in the baby racer twice with dave and had proven himself a model passenger as he had just hinted too he had been familiar enough with the mechanism of the biplane to operate some of its auxiliary machinery so as to avert an accident you are the best company in the world hiram said dave but I wouldn't feel right in letting you take the risk of a hazardous run. Dave, I won't let you go alone, persisted Hiram. Dave said nothing in reply. He went outside, and Hiram followed him. They unlocked the door of the shed adjoining where the baby racer was housed, and lit two lanterns. Get a couple of the nearest field men, Hiram, directed Dave, and I will have everything in order by the time you get back. There was not much for Dave to do. Only the noon of that day they had got the little biplane ready for a cross-country spurt. Then the rain came on, and they decided to defer the dash until the weather was more propitious. Dave was looking over the machinery when a gruff hail startled him. "'Hello!' challenged old Grimshaw, appearing at the open doorway of the hangar. "'What are you up to, Dashaway?' Dave flushed guiltily. He was dreadfully embarrassed to be caught in the act, as it were, by his great friend, the old airman. "'Why, you see, Mr. Grimshaw,' stammered Dave. "'Yes, of course I see,' retorted the old man grimly. "'You're going to start out a night like this?' "'I've got to, Mr. Grimshaw,' declared Dave desperately. "'Business, eh?' "'Of the most important kind.' "'What is it?' It was in order for Dave to explain details, and he did so briefly. Hmm, commented Grimshaw when his pupil had concluded his explanation. And so you thought you'd steal away without letting me know it. Oh, now, Mr. Grimshaw, Dave hastened to say, that was not the spirit of the thing at all. Go ahead, Dashaway. Well, then, I think so very much of you. I didn't want to worry you. "'Roll her out,' was all that Grimshaw would say, placing his one hand on the tail of the biplane. "'Hold on for a minute. Gasoline supply? Twenty-five gallons? That will do. Lubricating oil all right? 
Now then, lad, hit that headwind every time, and you'll make it, sure. End of chapter 2